this morning we're going to continue to worship the Lord with our gifts and our tithes and our offerings. And once again, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for the generosity you have, for the way that you support the vision of this house and give to that. Uh, we're a blessed people, and it's awesome. We have a building. Uh, like it just continues to blow my mind every single week. Now, our kids have kids' rooms now and not storage closets that they're meeting in. Uh, like Jesus is on the move, right? We have rooms and not closets. So thank you so much for that. And God, as we give back to you, we're so grateful for your generosity towards us. And Jesus, we ask that you to take everything that we give and that you would use it to see your kingdom advance all over the face of this earth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're new here with us today, thank you so much for being our guest. We're so glad that you're here. There's a lot of things you could have done, uh, but you chose to be here with us. And we're really honored by that. We'd love to know that you are here, so on the front of the seat, uh, in the back of the seat in front of you, there's little communication cards. I'd love to have you fill one of those out, turn it in at the information table on your way out. We have a free Radiant t-shirt for you, some swag to say thanks for being our guest. And then this week I'll shoot you an email just saying thanks again, is there anything that we can do for you, is there any assistance that we can provide for you? And then also next week, we have our Next Steps Discover class. So if you've ever wanted to know, uh, like kind of what am I supposed to do with my life? Why did God make me the way he made me? This is a great way to do that because we believe there's a purpose for every person. Uh, you're not an accident. God designed you the way that you are. He gave you a personality. He gave you giftings that he wants you to use to accomplish the things that he's created you to do. The Discover class is a great way to figure out how God made you, and what it is maybe that he's calling you into. And it just takes place right here next week. Lunch is provided. It's about an hour and a half long, and it's lots of fun and laughs. And Sybil leads it, and uh, she's awesome. So I'd encourage you, be here for that. You can sign up the next table or just show up next week. If you have your Bibles with you, would you go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 3? Now, I made a mistake this week. Um, for about the last, like since the election basically, I've decided I'm not going to watch TV or like do social media or anything like that. And my life has been really incredibly happy by doing that. Like ignorance is bliss, right? And so one of my friends texted me and they're saying, hey, you've got to turn on the news. And I'm like, no, I'm not turning on the news. You can't trick me. I'm not going to fall for this. Like, no, really, you need to turn on the news. You won't even believe what's happening. And so I'm like, oh, like curiosity got the better of me. And so for 15 minutes, I turned on the news. And this is what's really fun. You can make a game out of the news. Flip back and forth between like Rachel Maddow and Sean Hannity, just back and forth. And like it, your mind just blows up with what's happening. And so I turn on the news. I see what's happening. And I think to myself, is this real life? Like, is this happening right now? Am I dreaming? And what I'm hoping is that it's like the matrix of where the reality that I see in front of me isn't real. Like, having robots that are harvesting our energy would be a better, like, reality than what we currently find ourselves in. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, just like, wow, like, what is going on? How on earth did this happen? Has it ever been more crazy than it is right now in our world? And this is what I started thinking about, is that we live in a world that's broken, that's evidence. It doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter what political party you belong to, how you view the world. The one thing we can all agree on is that the world, there's something broken inside of this world. And there's something that's broken inside of us. There's something about our human condition. There's a brokenness. There's something that's just not right. We can tell that we're not the way that we were supposed to be. The relationships and interactions that we have with each other, it's not the way it's supposed to be. The relationship that we have with God, it's, it's not the way that it's supposed to be, but there's this desire and a hunger inside of us for something more with each other and something more with God that our hearts are just yearning and crying out for. And so even as we look at the brokenness around us, What's really awesome about it is that we might be broken people living in a broken and messed up world, but Jesus makes all things new. 
And that's the promise that we have. That's the guarantee that we have as Christians is that in the midst of all that we see going on around us, that isn't the final say. This isn't the way that everything ends up for us because Jesus comes to us and he makes us new. That's the story of my life. It's that I'm a messed up person. I was a broken person. Things have been done to me that shaped me and changed me and the way I perceived myself, the way I perceived others, the way I perceived God, the way that I interacted with other people. I was shaped by the broken culture that we live in and it shaped the way that I think and the way that I do things. But even in my brokenness, Jesus came to me and he made me new. And it's the most beautiful thing that I've ever experienced in my entire life was the renewing work that Jesus is doing inside of me. And we will view Jesus one of two ways. I think either you'll look at him and you'll think like Jesus is the God of wrath and he's the one that wants to come and punish us. And we view him as the great horse doctor in the sky. Right? So what happens if your horse is sick or gets hurt? There's only one cure for a horse. It's just you put him down. Uh, I grew up with horses and it was amazing how it didn't seem to matter what was wrong with a horse. The only thing you could ever do for a horse was just put him down. And I think we can have that approach towards Jesus. We think he looks at us and he sees our brokenness. He sees how messed up we are, how messed up the world is, and that he's just going to come and he's like, you know, going to get out the gun and he's just going to put us down like a lame horse. And if we think that, then we're always going to be scared of Jesus. We're going to want to avoid him. We're going to run away from him. Or we'll look at other people that we view as being more messed up than us because we always compare, right? I'm, I'm better than other people, and I'm okay because I'm not as messed up as that person is. But the truth is we're all messed up. And if we start thinking of Jesus as the horse doctor, then we're going to view him as just wanting to come and pour out his wrath and his judgment on every person that's more messed up than we are. But Scripture reveals Jesus again and again and again as the one who comes to make all things new. He says, I didn't come to the world to condemn it. He came to renew it. He came to recreate it. It says, going all the way back into Genesis, it speaks about even after the fall of Adam and Eve and sin enters the world, it still says that he's going to come and he's going to recreate. He's going to reclaim that which was lost. When we look through Psalms and we look into Isaiah and we see the prophecies about we won't even remember the former times because Jesus is going to come and he's going to make all things new. And then at the end of Revelation, when we get the picture of how all of this plays out, we see Jesus and it says that he's sitting on the throne and he says, Behold, I make all things new. There's a new heaven, there's a new earth. We have new heavenly bodies, new relationships that are perfect with each other, new relationship with God that's perfect in the way that it was always supposed to be. There's no more hurting, there's no tears, there's no sadness, no suffering, no death. All of these things are put away once and for all and finally we exist again the way that God always created us to exist. And one of the great things about what God is going to do, and one of the things that he is doing in us, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, you've seen how he's recreating you. You've seen the new life that's come inside of you and how he's changing you into his likeness. Uh, but God's called us to be a part of preparing the way for him to come to others. It's not just that Jesus came to us, which is incredible. I'm so thankful for that. But now Jesus wants to use you to prepare the way for him to come to others. And so if we want to live that reality out, that's the call of the church, we prepare the way for Jesus to come to other people, uh, we have to think about how is it that we do that. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 2, we begin to see uh, the plan that God has for us as the church of how we walk this out and prepare the way for him to come. It says in Luke chapter 3, verse 2, At this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. 
So the first way that we prepare for Jesus uh, is by getting a message from God. That's where it all starts. We have to have a message from God. It's like Blues Brothers status. Every organization on the face of this earth has a message that they're promoting. Every single one of them. Every organization, it could be political, it could be a corporate entity, people that are trying to sell stuff, uh, a grassroots movement of some sorts, but every organization has a message that they're pushing and they're trying to get you to buy into and they're trying to get you to promote. And it, these messages always promise that they're going to make your life better, they're going to make your life happier, that if we could just get this platform going or these laws enacted, that then we'd finally move into the place of where we're going to be happy and the world's going to be peaceful and we're going to have everything that we ever wanted. But the problem is that all of these messages always overpromise. They're never able to deliver on what it is that they're speaking to us, except for the message that comes from God. And this is what's happening with John. In, the, in his time, there are a lot of messages that are going out, a lot of political factions that are fighting against each other and saying this is what has to happen, uh, all of these other things. There's even religious things that are going on, all claiming this is what's going to happen, and then when this happens, everything's going to be great. But he gets a message from God. And that's what we have to do too. We prepare the way for Jesus to come to others by getting a message from God. Not just parroting the message from other human organizations. They might be great organizations, but they're human organizations. And they're limited in what they can do for someone. They can't change someone's heart. They can't heal someone. They can't restore a marriage. They can't bring hope. They can't bring purpose. They can't do any of those things. Those are the things that only Jesus can do. So if we're going to spend our life preparing the way for Jesus to come to others so they can receive the same thing that we've received, we have to make sure that the message that we spend our life pushing and the the message that we spend our life promoting is the message that comes from God. And so what is this message that God gave John? It says in Luke chapter 3, verse 3, Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. So the message that God gives is, is God's message is to repent of your sins and turn to him to be forgiven. That's the message that God gave John. It's the message that God gives to us. And the word sin there, I think we have to define it. Uh, Sin is anything that goes against the way God created you to live. He has a a design. There's a way that he created us as humans to flourish and to exist. We don't always live according to that, and anytime we go against that intent and the design that God has for us, that's what sin is. So uh, take cars, for example. Your car was created to work in a certain way, and there are things that you have to do to keep your car working or else it will break down. Now, changing your oil, we should all do that, right? You need to change your oil or your car won't work. Uh, You can go a while without changing your oil and think, I've cheated the system. See, you don't really have to change the oil. That's just a scan that the Uncle Ed's people had going. And then 20, 30,000 miles later, one day your car isn't going to start or your car is going to stop. I had a friend that did this. He put 35,000 miles on his vehicle without ever changing the oil on it. And it just, the engine just melted into one piece of metal and it wouldn't work anymore. Why? Because he was using it in a way that it wasn't created to operate. And that's what sin is for us. So we all would agree lying is a sin. Well, why is lying a sin? It's because we were created to operate in truth. And when we lie, what we're doing is we're going against the way we were created to live. 
Lying always brings more deception. Lying always brings entrapment. Lying always brings hurt to other people. Lying causes hurt between us and our relationship with God because it's not the way that we were operated. It's not the way we were created to operate. We were created to operate in truth because truth always brings freedom. Truth brings healing. Truth sets us free. God is the one who is truth. So as we embrace truth and live in truth, it builds our relationship with him and it develops the relationship that we have with others and we operate the way God created us to operate. So that's what sin is. Sin is going against the way God created us to operate. And the word repent, what that means is to turn away from sin and then turn to God. It's not just that you stop sinning, but you say, what I've been doing, the way I've been operating in my life goes against the way God created me to live. It's causing hurt and damage to me and to others and to God. And so now I'm going to turn away from that and I'm going to move in the direction of God in the way that he's called me to live my life. That's what repentance is. So put yourself in the place of the Jews at this time. They hear this message that John is preaching. He says, hey, I got a message from God, everybody. And it's that we need to uh, repent, and we need to get baptized, and we need to turn away from our sins and be forgiven. Now, at the time that the, this is being written, it's a time of political upheaval and turmoil that's even greater than what it is that we're ever experiencing right now. The emperor is Tiberius, who some of you may have heard of, but Tiberius was someone who was very suspicious of everybody else. They had questions about his uh, mental health. And he was known for bringing everybody that was in his administration up on charges of sedition or treason. He's just constantly paranoid about what other people are doing. And he hates the Jews. These people that, that are the, the people of God, who God's revealed himself to and is now trying to expand to all other people through this one family that became a nation of Israel, Tiberius hates them. He hates them so much and despises them so greatly that he actually expels every person who follows God out of the city of Rome. He didn't just persecute them. He didn't just say, you guys are idiots. He actually kicked them out of Rome. You could not be someone who followed God and live in the city of Rome. That's the kind of intensity that was going on for them. And then Pilate, the person who's the governor over the land that they're living in, uh, he's a terrible person too. He's known for bribery. Uh, he loved money and he was always doing shakedowns of other people. Great physical abuse just for fun and sport. They would abuse the Jewish people. He was known for doing executions without trials. Uh, he was known for his open derision and ridicule of all Jewish people. So as they're sitting there and they're hearing all of this stuff, what they've got to be thinking to themselves is like, yeah, that's right. Preach, John. We gotta get, i got to invite Tiberius to church with me this week because he's got to hear that he needs to get right, that he's been doing something wrong. And that's what we do too. Like Whenever you hear like, oh man, that's a really good message. I wish my friend was been here to hear that. Like they really need to hear this message. And so the Jews are all probably sitting there thinking, i got to invite all of the tax collectors. i got to invite all the soldiers. i got to invite all the politicians that are crooked. i got to invite the sexually immoral people, the liars, the greedy people, the drunks. Like All these people need to come in and hear this message. they got to get right with God. And it's easy for us to do that same thing if we put it into our context. Who are the people that need to hear this message of repenting of your sins and turning to God to be forgiven? I bet there's people that come to your mind that need to hear this message. But that's not who John's talking about. That's not who John is bringing his message to. John's bringing this message of repentance and turning to God to a very select group of people. And it wasn't to the politicians, it wasn't to the Romans, it wasn't to the tax collectors, it wasn't to the soldiers, it wasn't to the prostitutes on the street or the drunks or any of those people. It wasn't any of the people that we would think of as being the problem that need to hear this message. It was to the people of God. 
It was to us. And it says this in verses 4 through 6. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled, the mountains and the hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. So the second way that we prepare the way for Jesus is by embracing our responsibility. The message that is being preached here isn't going out to all of those who are what we would think of as far from God and saying, you gotta, you got to get right, you got to repent, turn or burn, all that kind of stuff, or you're about to get the wrath of the Lord stored up for you. None of that kind of stuff that sells on TV. The message of God, Jesus says, I'm about to bring salvation to this earth. I'm about to send the Messiah, the one who's going to make all things new, the one who's going to bring life to people that are living in spiritual death, the one that's going to bring hope to those who are living in hopelessness, the one who's going to bring comfort and healing. It says that he's the one that mends the pieces of our broken hearts back together, the one who's going to give us purpose, the one who's going to give us the identity of sons and daughters adopted into the family of God. He's coming, and you have to prepare the way for him to come. And the way that we prepare the way for Jesus to come, it says, is that we clear the road for him. It says all those sin issues that we have in our lives, all the things that we're telling other people that they shouldn't be doing, we got to take care of that stuff in our own hearts. It says that there's a road that Jesus wants to walk down, but it's so cluttered with our own junk and our own stuff and our own sin because I don't know if we just thought we could get away with it, if we thought that we'd just continue to operate in this way, whatever it might have been. But there's all of this stuff that we as the people of God should have put behind us a long time ago, but we've let it stay here. And it's blocking the way for Jesus to come to other people. He's saying you have to clear that road. You, the people of God, you have to deal with the stuff in your own heart. He says that those valleys that are in your life, he says you have to fill those in. Those mountains, those obstacles that are great in your life, that are keeping you from living according to God's will and his plan and purpose for your life, you have to make those level, those curves in the road, you have to straighten those things out. And it says that when we, the people of God, when we become those who repent of our sin and turn to God and turn away from the old life we were living, it says, and then all people will see the salvation that God has sent. See, we have to embrace this responsibility. It's on us. You know what the greatest problem in the world is? It's not our politicians. It's not violence. It's not racism. It's not oppression. It's not all of these other things. These are all symptoms of what it is that's going on. And these are all things that Jesus died on the cross to defeat. There's a new way for us to live. The kingdom of God is advancing. It's spreading all over the face of this world. But the hindrance to it, the greatest problem that we face in this world is that we, the people of God, have abandoned our responsibility. It's not people outside the church. They're the ones we're here for. They're the ones we're fighting for. 
We're the ones, they're the ones that we're sacrificing for. We're the ones that we want them to know this love that we found. We want them to know the joy and the peace and the contentment that we found in Jesus. We want them to know the relationship that they can have with their father. We want them to know what it's like to be a daughter or a son of the living God. That's the desire of our heart. But as long as we continue to live with all of this junk inside of our lives, we're never going to prepare the way for Jesus to be able to come to them. And the reason for that is because when we say, hey, Jesus has done this great thing in me, let me tell you about a new and better way for life. And we claim that we love Jesus, and we've been forgiven of all of our sins, and God's changed us and done a miracle inside of our life, and we're living just as filled with hate and rage and sexual immorality, and we're just as filled with the systems of oppression and racism and judgmentalism and every other sort of ism that there is, what we become is hypocrites. We say, God has the power to change your life. You can be just like me. And like, I don't want to be anything like you. If that's what Jesus does in you, like, oh my goodness, what's the opposite of that? Because that's what I want. We're the worst sales pitch that there can be for what Jesus can do in our hearts. When we let all of that junk stay in our life. But when we let Jesus do a transforming work inside of us, we become the proof of who God is and what it is that he can do in a human heart. When we become people that are filled with love, we become people that are filled with peace, we become those who more than anything just want to lay our life down to serve other people. When we become a refuge for the broken and the hurt, the abandoned, the poor and the oppressed, that's when the rest of the world looks at us and they say, there's something different about you. There's something different about you that no other group of people have. When the presence of God becomes to dwell in us richly, that it just exudes out of us and changes us who we are to the very core, and that's the message of the gospel, that God makes all things new. When we're made new, we become the proof of the message that we preach. But if we just keep living like everybody else is living while saying, Jesus can save you and change you and make your life so much better, you know what we become is hypocrites. And that word hypocrite in the Greek, it goes back to actors. We're people that play a part. We get up here on the stage, we dress up different, we say some lines, and we take off our wigs and our clothes, and we go back home and leave that persona on the stage. That's what a hypocrite is. We don't need to be actors. We need to be the real deal. We need to be the proof of who Jesus is. We need to be the proof of what it is that God can do inside of our hearts. Paul says this as he's writing to one of the churches. He says, the nations blaspheme God because of you. It's not that they blaspheme God because of his message. It's not that they blaspheme God because of, of what the Bible says or because of who Jesus is. They blaspheme God because they look at who we say Jesus is. And then they look at our lives and they see that we're no different than anybody else except maybe we're a little bit more judgmental. We become the obstacle for Jesus coming to other people. But we were called to be those who prepare the way for him. When we get our life straightened out, when we really embrace this and say, God, I want to turn away from all of the junk in my life. I want to turn away from that sin. God, I want to come and I want to live my life the way that you created me to be. When we do that, it says then all people, all people are going to see the salvation that God has sent. But that's our responsibility. 
And then in Luke 3, 10 through 14, it says this, after John's been preaching this message, it says, the crowds asked, what should we do? And John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? And he replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do, asked some of the soldiers. And John replied, don't exhort money or take false accusations and be content with your pay. So what's happening here is that they're asking, okay, how is it that we live our life? And as other people, the tax collectors, the soldiers, and everybody else, they're not hearing the message of, hey, you need to turn to Jesus, all that other stuff. They're seeing other people, the people of God, and the way that their lives are being changed. Now they're coming in and saying, hey, well, we want to be a part of this too. What is it that we need to do so that we can have what it is that you have? And so the third thing we have to do is by letting repentance lead to a new way of living inside of us. And this is what John's doing. He's saying repentance in your life is going to lead to a new way of living. So again, repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry, and then you do it again, and then I'm sorry, and then you do it again, I'm sorry. That's not repentance. Repentance is, I was doing this, and this was wrong. And the tax collector, I was cheating people. I was collecting more money than what it was that I was supposed to. So now the way that I repent is I stop doing that. I walk away from that thing that I was doing, and I walk back to Jesus. For the soldiers, it's the same thing. You were making false accusations as a way to shake people down. So you don't just say, well, I'm sorry about doing that. Do it again. Sorry about doing that. That's not what repentance is. That's not what forgiveness is. That's not the life God's called you to. He's called you to walk away from that thing that you had been doing before. God didn't come to just be the band-aids that you put on your sin issues in your life. See, what, what grace is so amazing because, listen, God knows that we're all messed up and that we're all going to continue to struggle with things throughout our life. Like, don't feel condemned or don't feel shameful if you've ever sinned or if you ever sin again between now and when you die. You're going to. And that's what God's grace is for is it comes and it covers that. But grace does something else too. Grace enables us to break free from the old life that we were living. Because Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to us. Now the presence, the power of God is living inside of us so that we don't have to keep living in bondage to the way that we were living, these, these chains that were holding us that we can't break free from. He can change every part of our, the brokenness in our personality, every broken part of our desires. He can change all of that and enable us and empower us to overcome temptation because we're all still going to have temptation as long as we're alive. But the God's grace enables us and empowers us to be able to walk in a new way of life, in the new way that he's recreating us to be. And when we do that, when we walk in the newness of life, we become that proof to everyone else. We become attractive. Jesus says that I've called you to be salt and light in the world. I think a lot of times we operate as like liver and onions in the world. There's nothing attractive about that. What does light mean? When you're in the dark, light is beautiful. So we put Christmas lights up, right? They're beautiful. Everybody loves lights. We love fireworks because it's in the darkness of the sky. We see this bright, beautiful light. We're drawn to it. That's why we like salt. Turns out a lot of food's pretty bad if you don't put salt on it. But when you put salt on it, it makes it delicious and appetizing to us. That's what God's called us to be. He's called us to be light in the world. That in the midst of the darkness and the brokenness, people look at us and see that God's done something miraculous in us. He's changed our hearts. We're living in a new way. And they look at the beauty of that light and they say, I want that. I'm drawn to that. I want my life to be like that. I want that kind of peace and security and assurance that you live with. I want to live with that kind of... Uh, that." That, that joy that you have inside of your life. I want to be able to go through hard times just like you're doing and not be broken down by those, to be able to have a strength that comes from God to walk through all trials that I go through in life. 
We want to be the salt. We want to make God appealing to other people. We don't want to make people think, oh, gosh, God's like castor oil, yuck, disgusting, do not eat that. We want to be the salt. We want to add the flavor to the world that's around us. That's who it is that we're called to be. And that only happens when repentance leads to a new way of living. We have to really be changed at the core of who we are. Because whatever's inside of your heart, that's what ends up being lived out. If you have a problem with greed in your heart, you're going to end up doing greedy actions. Because whatever's in your heart always comes out. But if you're filled with love and compassion in your heart, you're not going to be a jerk to other people. Because what's naturally going to overflow from your heart is love, compassion, and mercy for other people. When you realize how forgiven you've been by God for the things that you've done, you won't be judgmental towards other people. Because you realize that you have no room to talk. You're a recipient of God's love and his grace and mercy, even though you didn't deserve it. It's repentance that God's called us to. It has to change the way that we live or we're actually doing more bad for the kingdom of God then we're doing good. And this is the last thing. It's number four. We prepare the way for Jesus by stirring up revival in our hearts. That has to be what we want. We can't prepare the way for Jesus when we aren't passionate about Jesus coming to other people. When we aren't passionate about other people finding what it is that we have. Now, when five years ago, when we moved here, it was because God did something inside of my heart. And God broke my heart for the people of this city. And I looked at them, and I wasn't mad at people because they were messed up. I wasn't mad because people didn't want to follow Jesus, or they thought Christians were stupid, or weak-minded, or whatever else it was. Like, that didn't make me mad. What I wanted more than anything was for the people of this city to come to know the truth of who God is and what it is that he can do in their hearts. I wanted them to find that deep and abiding love that I found from my Father. I wanted them to find that identity that I found. I wanted them to find the peace and the joy. I wanted them to find the healing that I found. I wanted them to be able to have a marriage like God's created for me. I wanted them to be able to walk into the plans and purposes of God that they were created to do before the foundations of the world were ever laid. That's what I wanted. I was, I'd, I'd look at the people and I would see their brokenness and I didn't despise them for it. My heart wept for them. And I said, God, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm completely underqualified to do this. But Jesus, if you'll go before me, then I'll go and I'll spend every day of my life from now until my last day doing everything I can so that the people of Ann Arbor and, and Ipsy and Selene and Dexter and Miles, the people of Washtenaw County can encounter you, the living God, and they can find the love in you, that they can find the truth that you are, that they could be healed, that they could be recreated just like you've recreated me. And that's what every day of my life is about. You might say, well, you're a pastor, that's your job. It's not my job. My job's to train and equip all of you to be able to do this stuff. We're all called to be those who prepare the way for Jesus to come to someone else. It might be someone in your family. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone in your workplace and you see them and you see that, that God has so much more for them. 
You see the hurt that they're living with. God didn't call you to judge them. He didn't call you to be mad at them about it. He didn't call you to tell them to buck up buttercup or anything like that. He called you to lay your life down, to repent of your sins, and to turn to Jesus and to model and demonstrate what the power of God can do in someone's heart. He called you to model and demonstrate the beautiful love and relationship that we can have with our Heavenly Father. He called you to come and to prepare the way so that he could come to someone else. But it really starts with us as a church getting a hold of that. See, we always think of revival as being a time when people who are you know, living in sin or are far from God, that's a time when all of a sudden they see God's goodness and they say, oh my goodness, God, you're so good and I want to follow after you all the days of my life. That's never how revival starts. It never has and it never will. Because what revival means is a reviving. Who needs to be revived? Those who follow Jesus or those who don't? It's us. We need a reviving in our heart of a passion for Jesus. We need a reviving in our heart of living a holy life, following after what it is that he's called us to. We need a reviving in our heart of passion and mercy and grace for those who haven't yet been brought into the family of God. We need a reviving in our heart to go out and to proclaim the gospel and to model and to demonstrate it in every way that we can because life and death are in the balance. Because our city's filled with people who were created to be sons and daughters, but they're living as orphans. And they don't even know it. And Jesus went to the cross and he died for our sins. He could have judged us, he could have condemned us, he could have poured out wrath on us, but he didn't. He went and he died for us instead. Because his heart, the heart of the Father, is always to bring his children in, it's always to forgive, it's always to extend mercy. It's always to wipe away tears. It's always to bring health. He did that for you and me. And he did it for every single person on this earth. And he's called us to be a part of preparing the way for others to have that revelation. But it always starts in the church. We, the church, we have to get white hot. We have to get burning and passionate about this, about preparing the way for Jesus to come to others. And until we do that, we won't see the fulfillment of the vision God's given us. See, I've seen the vision of where it is that God's taking us. I've seen the future. Probably a lot of you have too. And I want to go there. And I'm willing to lay everything down and make whatever sacrifice is necessary to go there. Because our city needs us. God sent us to our city. But we have to prepare the way. And it starts with us repenting of our sins and turning to God. You all stand with me this morning. I love that in Revelation, Jesus says that He's the one that walks among the churches. That here, right now, as we gather, that He's here. That he's speaking to us. And this morning, let's just take a minute to hear what it is that he wants to say to you. Jesus, thank you that you came. Thank you that you're the one who recreates, that you're the one who makes all things new. 
Jesus, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Maybe you're like one of the people that just happened to be passing by and you heard what John was saying to the people of God and it caught your attention. You said, I want that. If that's you this morning, then all it is is you make that decision of, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are my salvation. You are God that you came and that you died for me. You bore all of my sin. You paid the penalty for my sin. And you rose from the dead proving that you were God. I'm going to follow you now. Would you send new life into my heart? Would you recreate me, Jesus? Jesus, would you fill me with your presence, empowering me to live in a new way, giving me the ability to hear your words spoken to me? When you do that, it starts something brand new inside of you. It starts a new life that he's called you to. Or maybe this morning, you're already part of the family of God, but you haven't been living like it. And this morning, God's calling you to repent. Ask now, what is it that you need to repent of? Don't, don't, don't tell your neighbor right now or anything, but just ask God, God, what's that area in my heart where I'm not operating the way that you created me to? God, how do I repent of that? What does repentance look like? How do I turn away from it and turn towards you and follow after you? I'm going to ask you one more thing. This morning, if you need God's supernatural grace and power in your life to overcome this sin that you're dealing with, to walk in repentance in the way that he's called you to, would you be so bold? Everybody eyes closed, just to slip up that hand and say, God, I need your supernatural grace. I need your empowerment to live in the new way that you've called me to. With all those hands, thank you. Thank you. Jesus sees those hands. Thank you. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to take God up at his word right now. He said that he would always provide us with a way to overcome any temptation. He told us that he would break every chain of bondage that was over us to bring us freedom. And we're going to take him at his word. God, over every hand that was raised, Jesus, we pray your supernatural grace, your supernatural empowerment, Jesus, that you would come alongside and it wouldn't just be their own willpower trying to break away from this thing, God, that it would be your supernatural empower, God, that you would kill the desires that led them to these things. Jesus, we pray that you would confirm them their identity of who they are as sons and daughters created to rule with you. Jesus, that you would stir up new love and new passion in their hearts for you that would just... Make it so everything else seems so unattractive and they just want to go after you because of the love that they have for you. And Jesus, we pray that where temptation comes and God, where sin abounds, that your grace would come and abound even more. Jesus, that we would be like the city on the hill that shines light brightly to all of those who are far off. That's beautiful, God, that is reflecting the light that we found in you. Jesus, we pray that we would be a people who model and demonstrate what it is that you can do inside of our hearts. Jesus, we don't ever want to be a people 
who are just going around condemning and judging people outside of our building, God, but we want to be the people who just keep coming before you on our knees and crying out, God, that you would come and that you would continue to change us and to make us into your image, Jesus. God, would you stir up passion inside of our heart for the people in our city that aren't yet a part of your family? God, that we would make that our responsibility. You, you put us here for that reason, God. Let us have a burning desire to model your love and to extend your grace. God, let revival happen in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to have my prayer partners come up. I'm just going to be on the, uh, the front outsides here. And if we can pray with you about anything, if God's speaking to your heart, you want some encouragement, uh, need healing in your body, wisdom for a decision, whatever it might be, we would love to pray with you. Or if today you made a decision that you wanted to follow after Jesus or recommit your life to him, come let us pray for you. Or you can indicate that on the back of the card because we'd love just to get in touch with you and help you start that new journey with Jesus. Uh, if not, I encourage you to go out there. Because mothers are awesome and it is Mother's Day, and we're also grateful for all of the mothers. We have some chocolate fondue out there for everyone to enjoy. So go eat some fondue, celebrate your moms, and we'll see you all back here next week. God bless.